Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Our guest today is Brendan Madigan, who is the co-founder and race director of the Broken Arrow Sky Race and the owner of Alpenglow Sports in Tahoe, California. The Broken Arrow Sky Race will be held this June from the 17th through the 19th. And so we thought this would be a good time to catch up with Brendan about the evolution of this race that takes place at Palisades Tahoe and to talk a bit about the economics of putting on a race like this and the prizes. And we also talk a bit about the current racing landscape and in particular, why Brendan thinks that it is really important to continue to have independent races alongside this phenomenon that we're seeing of larger companies uh, buying up a number of different races. Finally, we're also talking with Brendan about Broken Arrow's $50,000 prize purse and why we need to see larger prizes at more races. So that is some of what we have on tap for you here today. And now let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Brendan Madigan. Here we go. Well, Brendan, how are you today and where are you today? I'm great, man. Thanks for asking. And uh, thanks for having me on the, on the show. It's a, it's a big honor and love what you guys do, of course. Um, but I'm in, uh, uh, Homewood, California, on the west shore of Lake Tahoe, um, you know, about six miles from my shop in Tahoe City. So before we get into the real topic of the day, um, which is the Broken Arrow Sky Race, talk a little bit about this shop of yours. Sure. So Alpenglow Sports is a 42-year-old uh, mountain specialty shop in Tahoe City. And uh, in the winter, we focus on backcountry and Nordic skiing. And in the summer, we focus on trail run uh, primarily, but also backpacking and rock climbing and, and all the good stuff that we, you can enjoy here in, in summer in Lake Tahoe. Yeah. And, um, you know, as a fellow business owner, and given that you are a shop owner, why on earth did you decide that you ought to create and direct a trail race? It's a great question. Um, you know, if, if we rewind to 2015, when the the idea of Broken Arrow started to, to bubble to the surface. Um, we had a uh, trail running festival that was about a, a four-day festival, ended up growing into a nine-day festival. And there was already a lot of traffic in uh, Tahoe for Western states, you know, always on the last Saturday of, of June. And because it was a trail running festival, we thought, gosh, we should have our own event on um, – you know, the first weekend. And that way it would be a bookend with Western States. It would give visitors um, a ton to do while they were here tapering for States or crewing or pacing. Um, and it would give the local community um, a really fun summer event. Okay. So in my experience, hatching the idea is the kind of fun and easy part. So talk a little bit about how you took Broken Arrow from the idea to actually like the logistics, how long had you been thinking about this? Uh, was this harder or easier than one might expect it to be? Uh, you know, you make a really good point that good ideas are easy to come up with and uh, fun and the sexy side of it. But yes. uh, when, when the rubber meets the road, 
that is a much different story. But, you know, we we launched the the concept of the race um, uh, in 2015. The first year was 2016. We're, we're a bunch of race directors. There's three of us on our team uh, with no race directing experience. Um, and we launched Broken Arrow with some pretty audacious goals because like any good product or business, we felt that there was a little bit of a void in the industry, in the race experience um, in North America. Uh, you know, we've all raced a ton. We've all been to Europe. Um, and we really modeled uh, Broken Arrow after these iconic European races that are multi-day, multi-distance, very inclusive, uh, very heavily branded, and uh, just a fun-for-all event. Um, but it's been a wild ride, you know, from 2016 to 2021, minus a cancellation from COVID in 20. Um, you know, we're now over 2,000 runners. Um, we have, I think, seven distances. And it is, it, it's gotten so big that it quickly killed the Summer Mountain Festival, which kind of birthed the idea. Um, and now uh, I used to call it my side hustle. And now it's a full-time gig. Hmm. Wow. Talk a little bit about the growth starting from 2016. Do you, re do you remember or have you repressed all this in the way that, you know, one sometimes does just to continue to function and, you know, do it again. But what were numbers like in 2016 to, you said last year you were at, or no, this year you have, you're at 2000, around 2000 runners. Exactly. Yeah. So in 2016, we had a fairly good, you know, uh, registration rate. And it was nice because, you know, I think people saw what we were trying to do and um, that's resonated. Um, that's the only way I can explain the growth um, since then. And, you know, we were a classic year one event. Uh, I always kind of chuckle in hindsight that uh, Ian Sharman was generous enough to let us into the, to the current or at the time current um, U.S. Skyrunning series as a bunch of rookie race directors. Um, and, you know, but yeah, it's grown 40 to 50% year over year. Wow. So can we talk a little bit more about just sort of the logistics and maybe even more specifically the economics of trail racing and directing? Um, I know you have some thoughts about this. So the, the floor is yours. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've made no secret that we wanted Broken Arrow to be a new school, progressive, highly branded event, but that still honored and celebrated the most important part of the sport, which is the people. Um, you know, in order to do that in uh, Northern California, let alone Lake Tahoe, um, at a ski resort that's known around the world, it's really expensive. Um, you know, uh, there's no there's no other way to put it in that uh, the hard costs are very real. So, uh, that had to be reflected in some of our entry fees. You know, we do fall on the on the more expensive side, but you know, as a retailer, um, you know, I've always felt like those costs were justified by, you know, of course, the experience first and foremost. You know, we celebrate every runner, uh, whether first or last, as a rock star, and um, you know, what goes hand in hand with the actual day of racing is the breadth of one, what they get to experience, you know, they get to line up next to, you know, the best elite runners in North America, and oftentimes, uh, some big guns from Europe, 
Um, but they also get best in class um, race swag. So we've always felt like the swag has to heavily outpace the entry fee, um, you know, to kind of add to that overall experience. And then while they're here, um, you know, they get to experience panels, uh, seminars, clinics, film festivals, craft beer, um, you know, meet and greets, book signing is just, you know, it's that three day experience, uh, immersive style. Talk a little bit then about the adjustments you've made, say from year one to this year. And let's stay kind of on this. You've talked a lot about let's have really nice swag, you know, and stuff like that. Have you, how much fine tuning has happened? Or did you feel like, well, we kind of nailed it out of the gate and, or got it right to, as you, sorry, let me try that again. Or has it been, you know, well, we kind of, feel like we nailed it in year one. And so now it's just been, you know, less, less tweaking and fine tuning, more just continuing, uh, continuing uh, to keep a bar high. It's, it's a great question. And, and, you know, I don't know that I, I will ever say that we nailed it. Um, you know, uh, I think we do a great job, of course, and we have a really uh, talented team uh, that works really hard on the event. But um you know, from a, from a operations perspective, um, you know, it's, it's chasing perfection, which is never attainable. Um, and, you know, I think the, the beauty of a startup or new event or business or whatever is you're always kind of in um, uh, reinventing the wheel mode from the prior year. So, you know, you take what works, you amplify uh, those things, and then you kind of work around the edges to clean up maybe the things that weren't optimal. Um, and maybe this isn't, those aren't things that the public sees, but you see them on race weekend. And, um, you know, I, I figure like there has to be a breadth of, of running experiences in, in the industry, right? You have to be able to pay 20 bucks and show up um, at a really low key start line and get a beer and a hot dog and a high five at the finish. Those are those are core, you know, events to trail running uh, at large. At, on this other end of the spectrum, you need big corporate events like UTMB, um, you know, things of that nature that people can experience that vibe. And we kind of fall in the middle, right? And um, we want our product offering to, to cater to that. How important is it to you to keep Broken Arrow sort of a privately owned race? I think right now it's, you know, there's no... Um, there's no other question really. Um, you know, we've, we, you know, we see what's happening in the larger landscape. And, um, I think overall that's, um, a great thing for the sport. Um, but you know, for, for us, you know, it's similar to Alpenglow. I don't worry about what's going on outside of our four walls. You know, you try to keep your finger on that pulse, of course. Um, but you really just focus on your product, what you can offer, you know, your loyalists and fans and people who are hearing chatter about the event and want to attend. Um, but we take a lot of pride in being independent and, you know, that's not always pretty behind the scenes. It's, it's definitely never easy. Um, and you know, none of us are retiring, um, off of broken arrow, but that's the beauty of, I think trail racing in the outdoor industry at large is it's, it's a, it's a passion. Uh, it's a love affair with the sport 
uh, with the industry, with this lifestyle. And, you know, all we can do is kind of, you know, put our best offering uh, with that as a theme out there for participants and, and see if it, if it works for them. Mm-hmm. Can you say just a bit more about the kind of current landscape where we are seeing some larger companies buying up races? And so, and this is something I like to think through with you a bit, you know, I mean, we, this is obviously super relevant in terms of media, right? I mean, outlets being bought up and owned by a single parent company versus staying independent. And, you know, so I think these are just issues in the ski, in the ski world, right? We have independently run and owned ski areas, and then we have conglomerates there as well. So this is just something that certainly has not gone away at all in the outdoor industry. Um, but now coming back to races itself, can you help us um, think through some of the pros and cons of, again, staying independent versus being part of, you know, well, part of an umbrella? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think one, I would say how lucky are we as runners, as skiers, as, you know, outdoor enthusiasts to be alive when all of this stuff is happening. And it's tremendously fascinating. And, you know, I think from a, from a a trail running perspective, um, you know, I approach it as, as a fiercely independent, um, you know, guy, it takes a lot of pride in, in that. Um, and it's no different than Alpenglow, right? I mean, you read a lot of, oh my gosh, REI is coming in to this town with this uh, iconic heritage um, specialty shop and maybe they won't make it. And, and I, I, I take a different viewpoint. It's like, no, that, that's really exciting. That speaks to the power of that community. Um, you know, are there, are there, financial interests from the from the corporate side of things of course but that's fair there's nothing wrong with that that's what they're made to do just like i want to make money through my career you know i have bills to pay and um but i think you know that's a great opportunity to just pull on a bib you know and say okay this is us that's them we're going to do what we do they're going to be them and and that's really exciting um and i think the same goes for the trail racing experience, you know, you, you need uh, events like Broken Arrow, you need events like the rut, um, gorge waterfalls that, um, you know, uh, just came back this today, actually, and, and uh, is awesome. Um, those, you know, I think are vital as are the big corporate events. Um, and the beauty of, you know, coming back to how lucky the runners are to be to be alive in this uh, time is they can pick what they like. You know, it's like the best buffet you could ever um, come up with. Now, um, you know, I will say for, for the, the smaller events, I do worry a little bit about some of them falling by the wayside. Um, You know, but those are extremely valuable to the kind of ethos of the sport. And I don't want to see, you know, smaller events go away because, um, you know, we, we have to have them. Um, they're, they're vital to the sport. Um, and you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with, uh, the corporate approach, you know, say that UTMB is taking of buying up races and, you know, kind of cornering the market, you know, funneling the runners into a channel if they want to run, you know, the, the big, um, you know, iconic, uh, events, but, you know, like I said, it's pretty exciting. And the, and the runner gets to choose what, what they like. And that comes back to, 
putting your best foot forward as a business. Um, if you do it right, it works. If you don't, um, it doesn't. And it's a sink or swim type uh, industry right now, I think. Hmm. So yeah, to kind of stay on this line, you said small races are vital to the sport, but you also just said it's kind of sink or swim. And if you aren't figuring out, say, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth here, but how to be that excellent small race, really providing a different value or a point of differentiation, you are going away. So how do you square that, right? You So on the one hand, you want to say they're vital. On another, you're like, it's sink or swim, dog eat dog out there. So yeah, I think it's, I don't know if I would say it's dog eat dog, but I would say it's a competitive landscape. And, you know, you've seen races that were massive, uh, super competitive events, you know, in the lead into say Western States every year who have shrunk in size, you know, and, and for whatever reasons, I don't know. Um, but I think, uh, it's, it's no different than the outdoor industry, right? There's a lot of brands with a lot of redundancy and, um, the trail trail running space is no different, you know, there, so it is, in some ways um, competitive to draw runners to your event versus another. Um, but I think that's, that comes back to the, to the race organization, right? Like, uh, you know, just because we have a, a $50,000 purse, it doesn't mean that we're going to bring every runner in because of that, right? Like that's going to turn some runners away and that's, that's okay. That's fair. Um, but if you have, you know, the breadth of experience to cater to the elites in one way, the back of the Packers in another way, you know, the mid tier runners, um, you know, I think that's on the race to provide that kind of holistic experience for the participant. And, um, you know, that comes back to the race director and the race team to, to always kind of, um, it's exhausting, uh, in many ways, but to always be upping the ante every year. Um, and you know, I would love to be a race director that, could just, you know, check boxes and then every year was the same, but that's not how my brain works. And our team wants to be progressive and come up with new stuff every year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a big segment of trail runners and, you know, they're always going to run their favorite small scale races because one, they're, they're more affordable for sure. Um, they're probably less, um, busy on the trails, you know? Um, and so it's a different, different experience. Maybe you run, a lot of those in one summer and a few of the mid tier and a, and a big a race um, in Europe or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, it comes back to us needing these neighborhood races, these regional races, because, you know, those are essentially feeders for, for new runners, uh, for inclusivity from a cost and a distance perspective. And, um, you know, hopefully they can kind of work their way up the food chain if they're interested. Yep. You mentioned the size of the purse at Broken Arrow. Um, talk more about that. Sure. So the you know at the Broken Arrow, we we our tagline is whether you finish first or last, you're a rock star, and we like to celebrate the elites as equally as we do um, you know the last finisher. So for instance, you know our 52k award ceremony is literally right at the cutoff for the last runner because I want every single elite there, their families, their friends, the the spectators, not only there to celebrate the elite winners, but also these people who have been out on course for 
12 hours, which is, in my opinion, way harder yeah. than, you know, <laughs> running it in, in record time. So, you know, and, and when you do stuff like that, you really, you kind of set the, the um, table for humanity to come out, you know, so, you know, for instance, our last finisher in October um, was uh, part of this Mongolian hiking club in, in the Bay. And she, she had no idea. All these people were here, were there to cheer her in. And, you know, then she started dancing and people were crying. It's just, it's really special. And it kind of brings the focus back to humanity, which is at the, the base of everything in the, in the trail running industry, which I think is so beautiful. But the elite support has to have, in my opinion, the same approach. Um, it's extremely challenging to make it as a, a quote unquote professional trail runner. Um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about um, how these athletes are paid or, or not paid. Um, they might just have performance bonuses or get gear, um, but it might look like, you know, they're, they're, um, they're paid very well. Um, there's probably only, you know, you could count on, on one hand um, athletes in the trail running and ultra space in North America that are actually making a real living off of, off of this sport. Um, so as our event grows, you know, we of course want to take money and put it back into the purse to support those elites who are, you know, out there on the grind, um, you know, living a, a lifestyle as a uh, career. And, and, and that's very important for the sport. Hmm. So yeah, the, yeah, as you just said, supporting the most visible ambassadors, one might say, for the sport, in addition to, uh, well, also supporting perhaps the least, well, the least, visi least visible ambassadors on race day, but pretty significant ambassadors in terms of maybe their local community, local running clubs, um, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's undeniable. You know, the, the, the beauty of this sport trail and ultra is we're, we're all just a bunch of endurance kooks, whether we're running a 10 K or uh, a 250 mile race. Right. And uh, what I think that comes through in the, in the kind of humanity of the sport that you see on race weekend, you know, we make a big deal of staying at our finish line and celebrating until the last finisher comes through that um, finish line shoot. And, you know, I think, I think that in many ways, what makes the sport so compelling is that when we get out there and we're pushing our bodies in the mountains, that's when we're like the best versions of ourselves, or at least I am. And all the, all the BS in life falls by the wayside. And, and really you're seeing, you know, the laughter, the tears, the, the human emotions. Um, and to your point, the mid and the back of the pack runners display that in spades. And so um, those stories are so powerful. And that's why we try to, you know, highlight human interest stories of everyday runners in our live stream and, and celebrate them because like, let's be honest, those folks are way more relatable uh, than elite athletes. Uh, you might not be able to run our 26 K in, in an hour and 40 minutes like Joe Gray. Um, but you can definitely relate to someone who is a, single parent, um, still gets the training in for their hundred mile a race, um, while raising their family and working jobs to, to make ends meet or someone who's recovering from addiction. You know, those are, that's the beauty of our sport. And, and those stories are just, you know, you start looking for them and they're all over the place. Okay. 
I want to ask you a few more specific things about Broken Arrow. But before we get there, this is crystal ball time. Um, I'm curious to ask how you think some of the top races in the U.S. will change over, say, the next five years. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. You know, I don't know if I know the answer to that. Um, you know, I can only work with what I have in front of me for, for our event. But, you know, I, I look at um, a race like the rut, uh, which is put on by Mike Foote and is, you know, one of the races that we looked to when we were in our design um, process and idea casting. Um, they're in... Uh, you know, the middle of Montana, it's hard to get to. Um, and I could be mistaken, but I still think they're the biggest multi-distance trail and ultra event in the country. So what they're doing is amazing. Um, how other races may or may not emulate that is tough to tell. Um, I would like to think that because it's a competitive landscape, um, no different than being a retailer, uh, you have to be on your A game to to raise that bar. Like, not every race is Western States with a you know huge wait list to get in, and and uh, just that kind of iconic. Um, I have to run that event well in my life, um, and so they have to be compelling to get people um, through their own doors. Um, I'd like to see uh, races support um, elites uh, with a deeper financial commitment through their races. Um, I'd like to see there be some kind of unified anti-doping uh, initiative in the sport, uh, which which is uh, a void that needs to be addressed as the money increases in particular. Um, you know, for instance, we have, uh, you know, a $50,000 purse and that's drawing post-collegiate, you know, runners trying to crack into the trail space and make a name for themselves. But we actually have Kenyans, you know, not A-level you know, road racing Kenyans, but, you know, pretty darn fast B-level Kenyans who want to come to the event now. So, you know, all of that speaks to the experience, you know, the breadth of the experience from A to Z for participants of varying degrees. Um, But I'd like to see, you know, the money, you know, more, more support for the elites. Um, You know, the drug testing is a big deal and it's super complex. Um, and then I think just the overall experience, um, you know, it, it's no different than Alpenglow, right? If, if someone doesn't walk in the door, we don't exist. And if runners don't come to your event, it's going to be hard to keep your event going. So, you know, you have to be um, compelling and, and drive attendance. I'm going to push you a little harder on my last question. You said sure. the things you'd like to see, let's say between other races you know, increasing the purse size versus this, you know, move toward a unification on, you know, anti-doping. Which of the two do you feel more optimistic about? Again, let's say in, in the next, say, five years, if you had to pick one of those two things, do you, which do you think is the more likely thing to come about within five years? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I think there's no denying that the, the sport, both sub-ultra and ultra, is on an astronomic growth curve. Um, and so, you know, there will be more people coming into the sport, which 
theoretically, at least how my brain works, more runners in my event, that means more prize money for elites. Um, you know, we lean heavily on sponsors to cover that that elite purse. And then we use runner entries for operational stuff. Um, but I think race directors have, you know, an inherent responsibility to give back. And, um, you know, that's that's tough because my wife always reminds me that, hey, that's awesome. But uh, we still have a, a roof that leaks on yep. our house. Yep. Um, but I th- think we have a responsibility to, to support the sport you know how how it'll change uh that's that's really hard to say and and as a race director you can only do so much with your event like i say the the doping issue is is a big deal it should be focused on but it's very complex and layered um i think usatf wada uh us uh usada if you will those are the agencies that we have to look to uh to provide the structure for the anti-doping that's going to you know kind of keep everyone clean and whatnot. But, you know, look, I'm learning a lot about that too. And there's a lot of other people in this industry who are way more qualified to speak on those kinds of things. Um, All I can do is, you know, look at our event and see what we can do. Yeah. I'm going to let you get going. Um, I think you have a few things probably you need to get to. Talk a little bit about, you mentioned we're now at seven different distances. This is, this is going to be a good memory test and also maybe how sleep deprived you are currently but seven different distances at Broken Arrow? Yes. So we have a vertical kilometer and what a new distance that we call the Iron Face Challenge, which is a one-of-a-kind uh, time trial type event that goes uh, up a large portion of the, the Via Ferrata at Palisades Tahoe. So very unique, very European. Um, and then uh, we have a 52K, a kids race, an 11K, a 26k and then what we call the triple crown which is vk 52k 26k combo for the real junkies out there yeah um so it's a it's a full weekend man but it you know like i say if you're if you're doing a good job as a race director um race weekend isn't boring by any means but the big lift has already been done um you know i like to call it the process and the process is uh is very fulfilling um, you know, if you like uh, rudimentary tasks and, <laughs> you know, marketing and, and counting socks and that kind of thing. Um, but on race day, like all of those details kind of crescendo and, and it's a pretty beautiful thing. You know what we should do is tell the people when the race is. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so the race is always uh, in a normal world, in a, in a non-COVID world, the weekend before Western States. Uh, which is roughly mid June. So it's this year, it's June 17, 18, and 19. And um, it's always held at Palisades Tahoe, which is uh, formerly um, Squaw Valley, uh, the, the home of the 1960 Olympics. And, um, you know, it's really fun terrain. It's a, mostly above tree line and uh, it's, it's a doozy. You know, there's 10,000 plus feet of climbing in that 52K and, uh, half of that in the 26. So, um, you know, even the 11 K, which we call our gateway drug is, is super fun, but it is no PR 11 K. There's a couple thousand feet of climbing and it's, you know, full on European style running. So, yeah. Registration for the event. I think I have this correct closes June 10th. Online registration closes June 10th. And, um, you know, the, a lot of the distances will be sold out well before then. Um, but we always hold some spots on race weekend. So 
um, try to stoke some people out who are desperate to get in and um, and try to welcome them to the party. Cool. And I think finally, um, where should people go to learn more about the event? So our website is uh, brokenarrowskyrace.com. Uh, we're on ultra sign up, of course, for registration. Um, you know, side note is shout those guys out because they're doing amazing, amazing work and really raising the bar um, in their product offering and just really, you know, awesome down to earth people. Um, and uh, social media, we're on Instagram and and Facebook and um, you know all the normal channels. So got it. Brendan, appreciate the time. Um, it's a cool thing that you've built up here uh, with Broken Arrow. Um, in addition to running a good shop and uh, you know doing a whole host of things, except I guess fixing your roof. Bad job on fixing your roof. That's the one. That's the one thing. Maybe you know. Yeah, one day for sure. But um, <laughs> you know, it's I chose this this career for for the lifestyle, and you know, there's a lot of a lot of pros and a few cons and, and I'm totally cool with that, but thanks for the the opportunity and the kind words. And, you know, like I said, I really love what you guys are, are doing too, um, across all sport channels. So. Oh, appreciate it, Brennan. Best of luck as mid June approaches quickly here. I look forward to hearing how it goes down this year and I imagine it's going to be another really good time. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Well, that's it for this edition of Off the Couch. I want to say thanks to Brendan for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward. And we will talk to you again next week.